I thought it was Roth Funkel was the best. <laughs> That's Jeremy's eye band. Ro- we- Roth Funkel and Oats. Ro- <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> Welcome to the edge of nowhere. Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Carr, here along with my co-host and the Bert to my Ernie, Mr. Matt Ozero, a.k.a. The Moz. How are we doing today, Moz? No complaints. All right. I, I think we're both Ernies, though. I Hey, Bert. I There's no Bert in our whole crowd. <laughs> there's no anal retentive guy. You know, folding his laundry and anywhere we're, in our, our we're sphere. just weird, roundish, yeah, silly people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bert's silly in his own way, but you know, we are the Oscar Madison, not the uh, you know, right? Felix right. Unger, we're right. the Ernie, we're not the Bert. Yeah, we so, are the Walrus Cuckoo Kachub. So you're the Ernie to my Ernie. <laughs> That makes that, more sense. Uh, it explains all the dysfunction. We it are does a, explain all the dysfunction. We are awash with Ernie's. We are. Anywho, uh, any old business? I thought we had some. Moss said we don't. So no old business, Moss? You made me take notes that uh, my my uh, my Wahila ate. <laughs> <laughs> my monster ate my it homework. Could have been a dire wolf. I didn't get a good picture. Fair enough. Yeah, it's all blurry, huh? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of squatchy. I think it's their wavelength. Mm-hmm. This is the wrong episode for that, though. Yeah. All right, so uh, if if you think we have any old business left out there hanging, please email us at monsterloretour at gmail.com and let us know. Or uh, leave us some comments on whatever platform you're listening on. I do have one piece of new business. <coughs> Phlegm. We got our first weekend warrior tier on our patreon which is the ten dollar tier which gets you a mad cujo's live on an episode what if the mad cujo's ate my homework uh-huh. oh the mad <laughs> cujo's ate my homework speaking of which so mr michael culver wow welcome to the club you get a mad cujo's award ah, boy. and speaking of our patreon patreon.com slash monster lore tour we do try to stay ahead of release with our production, so members will get early access to upcoming episodes. And we also record a side trail with every weekly episode at the Monster Lower Tour. And those side trail excursions are only available to official party members in our Patreon. Every membership makes it more likely that we can keep doing what we're doing here, so if you like what we're doing, just do it and check out patreon.com slash Tour and join our members area so you can be with us every step of the way. And please, real quick, just make sure to like, subscribe on whatever platform you're on. Maybe uh, 
leave us a review and a rating and stuff that helps a lot with the algorithms and most importantly in my mind if you have any monstrous stories of your own you'd like to share with us here at monster lore tour we'd love to read them on one of our episodes and you can email them to us at monster lore tour at gmail.com totally look forward to getting some listener stories coming in and if we really like your story we might even hit you up for an interview if you're open to the concept of a zoom inter- interview as well yeah so that could be exciting Anywho, enough of that spiel. Thanks for listening, everybody. Let's get on with the episode here. Maz, you ready to talk about alien probes? No, I I did the Colgard thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. No this this is not about what most people might think it's about when I say alien probes. Actually, I just pooped on my bag in my neighbor's porch and set the- it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but he's a doctor, so it's like Colgard adjacent. <laughs> It's kind of you counts. just assume if there was something, if there was something wrong, wrong he'd let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, no! Off this, the rails before we usually uh, time this. I, I can't you know? even get into it. This is not about what most people think about. This is not the weird butt stuff, alien probes, no subdermal implants and whatnot. What I'm talking about is probes like we humans ourselves have sent into space. Roboticized space exploration vehicles that send back data from far distant places kind of thing, you know? We're all familiar with that concept at this point. For instance, the Galileo spacecraft that in July 1995 launched an atmospheric entry probe at Jupiter that spent almost an hour in Jupiter's atmosphere relaying the data it was collecting back to Earth before being consumed by the enormous pressures of Jupiter's gravity. Or the Voyager crafts that toured through the solar system, relaying endless images and data from other planets. Now they're headed off through intergalactic space on a voyage that could last billions of years. We also have, of course, the James Webb Space yep. Yeah. Yep. Telescope. There, there you Just go. I had to changing finish the science as we speak. Oh, yeah. dude, those pictures are incredible. Yeah. And, and the, the implications also, are even more incredible. Oh, yeah. Like 10 years from now, what are we going to know that we didn't know before that thing went up? Yeah. Well, no less. We seem to know less. <laughs> <laughs> Einstein actually starts to be wrong about stuff. I guess that's true. What? How many more questions will we have to answer? What we I need is an astrophysicist. That's what we need. We're working on it. Yeah, we're, we're trying. On it. Yep. But there's also upcoming breakthrough star shot which we will talk about in depth later on in this saga. But that project aims to launch countless little cameras attached to solar sails out into the galaxy at 20% the speed of light. These will be capable of reaching and sending back images of distant stars in their planetary systems within just a couple of decades. We could have JWST kind of pictures of, you know, up close Alpha Centauri, like the Voyager pictures of Jupiter and all that from a different solar system. But these are just a few examples of numerous such missions humans have launched into the cosmos, and there are many more to come. Yeah, I remember the Galileo. That's the that's the episode Spock messed up, and Voyager came back, V'ger in the movie. V'ger. Right? Yeah, I remember all these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as the ones that were science fictionized, those I remember. Yeah. So anywho, if we're doing it, how many other worlds out there have launched or are launching their own similar probes into the reaches of the universe? 
And if one of these alien probes were to enter our solar system and get a reading on Earth, data that shows a vast population of a variety of undiscovered life forms, what would the reaction be? Would more probes be forthcoming? Ask yourself, what would we do? And you can start to assume that many more data-gathering missions would follow, right? Yeah, they're trying to build probes that build other probes. So the question we're asking here is, could this be happening already? Is there someone out there watching us right now? Yeah. Let's get into it. So I concluded my previous thought experiment centered around the Tic Tac craft by saying that what I really thought the Tic Tac, as well as the Gimbal and GoFast and other related UAPs were, was that they were actually some kind of alien probe. So let's start there. The Tic Tac we covered thoroughly in our previous episodes. So I'm not going to get into all the detail of the story again. But I do want to touch back on some points. Remember the seemingly instantaneous acceleration and deceleration loss? Oh, yeah. The crazy herky-jerky motion of the craft bouncing around over the frothing water? Yeah. So in my mind, and we only have theories to work with here, mind you, that sort of extreme motion would be difficult for any kind of macroscopic life form to get through without serious effects from the G-force. This comes from the fact that there's no way a human would survive a single maneuver in that thing, like just jumping 60 miles in instantaneously, maybe. But they do have aliens that, that, you know, like even the congressional hearing said that there were bodies. There were bios. Yeah, I guess that's true. So there's, And if they have the warp field drive, then maybe it takes away that, that G-force effect. But, but I think you're right that most of what we would be seeing if we were doing it, if anyone was doing it, most would be unmanned. Right. And, and just the travel across, you know, the yeah. time it takes. And even when you're traveling like that, it's such a long way. And if you're traveling speed of light, it's the time distortion thing. Yeah. So It's the Branson it just, Musks on other planets that are like, hey, right. just give us money and we'll send you to Earth. Right. <laughs> it's just their voyagers are purposefully going out across to other galaxies at a much faster speed than ours. Yeah. That's really the only difference, you know. Yeah. So it seems that the Tic Tac and the fleet of, of its friends that we've seen on radars all over the world, at least in our mind here, are unmanned, or should I say unaliened craft then. Also, the course of its actions seem very probish. The quick drop from 80,000 feet to just above sea level then a quick maneuver to the weird patch of frothing water in a calm sea. This seems like either a communication with a cloaked underwater ship of some kind or some sort of data gathering operation where it affected the water in a way as to get a desired reading on some sort of device. Sorry, that was a bit garbled, but it's hard to be precise when you know nothing of its intentions or abilities. But then when it realizes it's being observed by the approaching aircraft, it takes evasive action, jumps out of the scene to a safe distance, pauses for a moment to send whatever message it has to send after its little frothy water data gathering mission, and then just disappears on us. That to me sounds like a probe more than anything. Does that make sense, Miles? Well, I'm I'm reading one of your books that you I stole from your bookshelf, the Michio Kaku uh, Parallel Worlds. Oh yeah, okay. And it makes me just think of like. 
if that's the their lepton electron, they figured out a way to make it kind of that's the particle that jumps into another uh, galaxy to just you know, and then they can some. I mean, currently we feel like there's no way to do communication that way. But what if they figure out a way to do that? And it's a giant universe, and that little ball is actually their little particle they've sent in to kind of, you know, check us out. And our scientists have been working on that spooky effect at a distance mm-hmm. thing, and they're, yeah. they're starting to find maybe we can send information faster than we thought. I, I don't have my references and stuff on that, but it's uh, something I'll probably get into in the future. Yeah. I, I don't remember that one, but the theorem rings a bell. Yeah, they're... I can't remember the details. I don't want to start trying to get into something I don't have in my brain. But I do remember an article talking about they sent some piece of information from one, like on the quantum level, Mm -hmm. one particle to its entangled particle. Mm -hmm. And it received the information instantly across distance. Well, Michio Kaku would disagree with you on that, at least with the book that's probably... 12 years old at this point but well yeah that that was recent yeah. that, that was i i read that within the last year or so okay. I'll, I'll, I'll have to see if i can find that article anywho so other encounters closely related in our mind to the tic tac or the gimbal and go fast military videos released around the same time as the tic tac but these were similar incidents to the tic tac encounter in that they were picked up on radar and visually verified by military pilots There's not as much background material to be had on these guys, but the videos are readily available online. Take a minute to check them out if you haven't yet. For our purposes, there are a couple of things in the radio chatter from the gimbal video that I want to talk about. So I'm going to play that audio for you now. Dude, this is a fucking drone, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. We're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Look at that thing, dude. That's not an LNS, though, is it? It's not. That is an LNS, dude. Well, if there's like another thing, it's rotating. Now, these crafts weren't moving nearly as fast as the Tic Tac and seemed to hold a relatively steady trajectory. This speaks to a higher possibility of it being a piloted craft rather than an autonomous probe. But a main point here is in the radio chatter from the gimbal encounter. We hear one guy say, there's a whole fleet of them. And the other responds, my gosh. So that's confirmed radar contact with a whole bunch of these things around the area. Can we... Can we call this fleet the Seegers because they were going against the wind? Oh, against the wind. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yikes. <laughs> so that's confirmed radar contact with a whole bunch of these things around the area. Then at the end, you hear them say, it's rotating. And right. when you watch the video, you will see this thing spin in a very mechanical, definitely not a bird sort of way. Mm-hmm. So you've seen this, right? I Most. don't know. I mean, I played. I've seen some of them. There was a black thing that was kind of rotating and floating and going slower, and it looked like a, uh, like your tattoo. The tats. What is that? The tesseract. The tesseract kind, of. kind of thing. Yeah. Ooh, that ties into the side trail we're going to do after this episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's the one. It, okay. It, it's kind of dark and you see it kind of spin. Yeah. What it looks like yes. to me is like it's almost like silver surfery the way it's like going. Oh, that kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. you know, like it has this kind of swing, rotate yeah. kind of move to it. Yeah. So as I said, regardless of the Go Fast name, these crafts from the 2014 and 2015 videos weren't moving nearly as fast as the Tic Tac craft in 2004. How do I know this? Because you're smart. There is a video on YouTube from the NYU quantum physics department with a group of grad students that worked out the speed of the go fast craft in the video mm -hmm. to be in the vicinity of 60 miles an hour. Right. Not that fast. What's that? Like a hundred ish kilometers an hour sort of speeds we're talking about, right? Just shy of what Sammy Hagar can't drive either. Just fast enough for Sammy Hagar. There you go. Just fast enough. A little over 55. Mm -hmm. and so 60 miles an hour, not super fast. But uh, this page is called NYU Quantum Technology, and the video has Go Fast UFO in the title. Nice. They did their own calculations based on all the data available from the in-flight systems of the jet and the radar readings it took on the Go Fast UAP. Here is what they came up with. So by calculating the trajectory of the jet using the banking angle, we found that the distance the UFO could have covered is about 584 meters. And that gives us a velocity of 95.66 kilometers per hour or 51.65 knots. So there you go. So it's really equal to 59 miles per hour. But we also have a second result sent to these guys by another group of super nerds. We're going to listen to that. So one of the commenters on our last video, uh, the Chala, since these two models depicting the jet's trajectory. So in the top one, the velocity of the UFO is 57.62 knots or 106.71 kilometers per hour. And that agrees with our own result, although it's a bit higher. Um, the Charlie used a slightly different approach of assuming constant elevation of the UFO and a shorter time of 20 seconds. Okay, so they show a speed of 66 miles per hour, which would be basically 100 kilometers per hour. So between the two sets of calculations, we can give an approximate speed to the go fast of 60 to 65 miles per hour. That's pretty good. Right around, you know, 95 to 100 sort of kilometers per hour, yeah. rounded off. You can get to Alpha Centauri in, you know, seven gazillion years. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So not really that fast at all considering most airplanes need to maintain an airspeed higher than that just to stay in the air. Right. You know, silver surfers just cruising through the galactic neighborhood, man. They're just cruising, you mm -hmm. know, they're like they just in down. neutral coasting through. Yeah. Anywho, going to do a quick recap here for anyone who hasn't heard the previous UAP episodes. Also a quick refresher for those who have, and also Moz, it has been a while, yep. but the Nimitz encounter with the Tic Tac Fravor. took place in 2004. The David Fravor, Commander David Fravor, yes. That actually happened in 2004. The Go Fast and Gimbal videos were taken in 2014 and 2015. They're talking, you know, 10 years later. later. So these Gimbal and Go Fast encounters are actually just a couple of many that took place between 2014 and 2015. There was kind of a spike in the activity around then. Not only the U.S. military, but other militaries from around the world experienced endless numerous radar sightings of not just craft, 
but fleets of crafts that were totally inexplicable. And these sightings apparently have continued in large numbers consistently up to present day and continue to persist, especially since we tweaked our radar systems to pick up those spy balloons. Yeah. Now we're seeing all kinds of stuff that we never saw before. Yeah. These things move in ways we cannot replicate, come and go in and out of the atmosphere without skipping a beat as far as acceleration and trajectory. As far as we can tell in today's world, unless the U.S. Navy has completed their field propulsion engine that we talked about in previous episodes, which they supposedly just launched the little mini prototype last month, so I doubt they're there yet, this type of ability on a craft just doesn't exist. Uh, flying in the atmosphere, flying in space are too different for a single craft to be able to seamlessly maneuver from one to the other, be able to perform effectively in both environments, maneuverability-wise and everything like that. It's just different as far as our technology goes. Mm-hmm. It just can't be done, at least by us, as far as we know, unless you know the U.S. Navy wants to tell us anything more it's mother mothership versus but we actually fleet. have enough information to think that they aren't even close to the real deal yet okay. like they're working on it they're certainly working on it but it doesn't seem like they're really there yet no so on february 21st 2021 a commercial airline pilot en route from cincinnati to phoenix was flying over northeastern New Mexico when he made the following transmission. Have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us. That, I hate to say this looked like a long cylindrical object. It almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast that went right over the top of us. So the reported shape of this thing was very reminiscent of the Tic Tac craft we discussed in our previous episodes. Well, well, I mean, the Tic Tac was named because it's a Tic Tac. This is it was longer. A, this well, sounds was, more like a missile or a cigar. Well, it shape. was an elongated right Tic Tac. I mean, they used Tic Tac, but it was cigar shaped. Yeah. It was long, rounded, white. Gotcha. You know, minty, what I mean? minty, yeah. as we did in our Wolfman pucks. <laughs> but it was it was it was similar enough that it raised a lot of eyebrows in the UAP community. And this is not the only newer sighting of such a craft. There's one from June 29th, 2020, filmed in Hungary. But it took a couple of years for the world to discover it. This is actually pretty new to the whole streaming s- streaming world. This has a very tic-tac sort of look and feel to it as well. It fits very much in with what the pilot just reported to us. It's obviously not moving at ludicrous speeds in this video. Did you just spaceballs me? Oh, I just had to get you one more time, Moss. <laughs> I had to get you one more time. Though it is moving very quickly, it's just impressive to me how clear the shot of this one actually is and how it moves. It really seems like a legit video. Have you seen this one, Moss? Let me show this one to you, and then we'll hear what you think about it. Okay, so... You were familiar already with that, Moz? Because you sent it to me, that one. I didn't get to see them all, but that's one that you sent me. So you think that has some connection possibly to the Tic Tac slash commercial pilot report? Well, I'm going to go on the other side because, you know, I always go cryptidy on you a little bit. It reminded me of the rods a little bit that kind of shoot through. 
and they're I believe those are debunked and perhaps they're just insects but and there's usually a little bit of motion with the rods it's not just a straight cylinder the way this is but it okay. reminded me of that because it just shoots through and they're trying to figure out what these things are and those are more like sky whaley kind of thing or what well I, I think it's been debunked you know from what I've looked into and and the shows i've watched they think it's just insects and it's the shutter speed of the cameras and the, of, of the video equipment but i've seen a lot of things that could be chalked up to that mm-hmm. but this doesn't at all to me look I, like it was reminiscent and no. i don't think it was that similar because again it looks way too solid and yes. too far away to be a streaking bug you know correct what I mean? I, i'm in agreement it reminded me of that yeah. i wanted to throw it out there but, yeah that's fair though something to keep yep. in mind uh and we have another commercial airline pilot that got a video of a UAP over Columbia in February 2020. This actually got covered on the History Channel. I have a clip here from them to show you, Moz. Let's watch this one and talk about it. And these, these are all in the show notes, of course. I'll, I'll tag them all if you want to watch these videos as we move along. If they put Ancient Aliens on History Channel, it would be Ancient History. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm trying to help them out. You want to watch this? So that one, kind of a strange shape, right? Yeah. It's like a cube or maybe rectangular cube in the center with a squared off ring around the middle or something. This was the one I was thinking about. With this the, is the, the one the you're thinking about. Yeah. And this one does come up in the... Uh, but it's in, also in going very trunk. slow. It's another slow-moving. Correct. It, it has more of that 60-mile-an-hour feel to it than the than yeah. the 72,000-mile-an-hour feel to it. Right. But that's just, you know, maybe just by choice in the moment. But no obvious form of propulsion, similar in that way. And it's obviously flying under its own power. Either way, it was something the pilot had never seen before, and no one has been able to identify the craft at this point. So definitely unidentified aerial phenomena on this one. And what it looks like to me, Moz, since you brought it up, is it actually looks like a three-dimensional representation of a Tesseract. And so the, this happened like you, you really think, because I thought you were going to... No, this is, this is not actually... Not like my comment. No, that actually fits <laughs> right in. You're doing to me what I usually do to you. You just jump to the end. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's what we do here. That's You're already on the side trail. We haven't yeah. even finished the main tour yet. Yeah, there you go. But we talked about the potential of Tesseractian UAPs before mm-hmm. as well in our UAP episodes. Uh, the one that comes to mind, the the one with the black cube inside a gray sphere mm-hmm. uh, ca- uh, with, uh, I think, Captain Ryan Graves, Pilot Ryan Graves. What if it wasn't so much a sphere is maybe a, a tesseract thing. Well, the, the, the bubble of the, the gravity bubble around a folded-up tesseract. Yeah. But that's what our side trail is going to get into. So we're not going to talk about that anymore right now. Get in the members area here, the side trail. It's going to be a good one. I'm still going with swamp gas. I want to get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. You really it? are old school, Buzz. You really are old school. Anywho, new UAP sighting videos popping up all over the place now. It seems that the advent of ubiquitous camera technology may actually finally be paying off 
for all the ufologists of the world. And for instance, there is a video captured by someone's ring doorbell camera in Bakersfield. The local news 23 ABC did a report on it and showed this little video. Let's watch that now, Moz, and see what we think. So, you see the way it curves back up like that? Yeah. It's definitely not in free fall, right? And in my mind... You're going to Carolina. Going Carolina in my mind. It looked like it was behind those trees, so I don't think yeah, it's the it's bug not in the streak. Front. It's like not it's not near, a close-up bug no, streak thing. It's a big mm-hmm. thing in the distance. Okay, good. We're we're in agreement on that then. So, to me, in that case, it kind of looks like a, a random video of a UFO crashing, doesn't it? <laughs> well, what I was gonna say, because we're actually in agreement, which is very rare, it reminded me that like if you had someone had filmed the Kecksburg incident in Pennsylvania when this acorn-shaped thing in the in the late 40s or whenever that happened uh, kind of came down. People who saw it said it was. It seemed not like a, a meteorite. It seemed like something that was steering to some degree. Like this is something that was trying not to crash. <laughs> right, right, like it was losing it. Yeah, it was losing it, but it was, it was trying to do something, evasive maneuvers. Yeah, like its field was failing or something. Yeah. But there was no reported crash after that. There was no explosion. Uh, I don't. I don't know. This was covered on the news. So I, if something had hit, there would have been somebody then reporting on that. And and another side theory I did have pop into my mind on that is uh, maybe it was a warp drive prototype from the U.S. Navy. Yeah. That went out of control. You yeah. know what I mean? Flight 800. That's why no one could find it because the Navy real quick. It was a little thing. They went and scooped it up, got it out of there. Yeah. But anywho, uh, moving on, there are a bunch of new declassified military videos of UAP sightings as well. I thought that's what we've been watching all along. Those were the old ones. And, so those and, were before the dump. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. Well, they, they kind of, they were the initial dump. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luis Elizondo. Yeah, third dump. Luis yeah. Elizondo put those out when gotcha. he quit the government and everything. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the first dump of the UAP period as opposed to the right. old UFO period. Right. The Snowden of the UFO. There you circles. go. There yeah. you go. So we've seen the original military videos released. We've now seen a couple of commercial airline pilot videos yeah. released. Because luckily that, they had a door cam too. <laughs> Doorbell cam on a, on a plane. You yeah, need there that. You go. There you go. There's a video on YouTube I'd like us to watch now, Moss. One of these new military ones. Captured on a camera. I kind of want to have you narrate it for the listeners. Sure. Oh, I got to read? Uh, if you want to watch it with us. Oh, narrate in real time? Go to YouTube and search Pentagon Shares Newly Declassified UFO Videos. Or just click on the link in our show notes. And you'll see a three-minute, four-second video from Fox 5 New York. Let's get this queued up for you, Moss. Okay, we've got this queued up now. Hitting play now. So we got the drone. Whoa, see that? Yep. That looked, that looked like in the foreground. That looks like a military-style drone. 
Right. And something went, I believe, closer to our perspective. Yeah, it looks like it's on this side of it's it, on doesn't this, it? our side of it. And if you see, there's a little, like, wave behind it as it goes by there, too. It'll distortion. But now we got, they're tracking it here. It was tic-tac shaped, although it wasn't doing anything unusual. And see, now it's kind of floating around. Look, changes direction, goes back the other way. Changes That's more tic tac goes back the other way. It's like acting very oddly there. Now it cuts again. Different perspective. Look at that. Drops, stops, goes to the side. Yeah, we're seeing the target of like a military. They're watching this. It's very similar to the Tic Tac technology you know, of them watching it. And now you can really kind of see the shape, whatever filter they have on this. It's almost got that bell shape you were talking about, the acorn bell shape. <laughs> it's the Kecksburg all over and again. now you look at it in this one it almost looks like two cells dancing or something i don't know what kind of filters we're looking it's at it's the lepton I'm but you know what you. that looks like is a bubble the gravity bubble around the tesseract so you're saying there's a halo effect that's occurring right and the inside of it is is a different right you know. it's like the ship surrounded by the field yeah you know what i mean interesting i don't know what that stuff coming out is that some kind of thing on the radar screen but look at that it's not so it almost looks like two it of doesn't them. look anything like something that would be flying around like it's almost like we can't see it's it a right. cell in mitosis right now yeah exactly <laughs> right like it's the weirdest i don't know what kind of filter we're looking at but now see it looks yes, like the circle around the object yes now it looks like there's an outside there's an inside right and so uh, it's almost like the gravity bubble around the craft yeah to me is what in the way it's moving like that the hara in Buddhism, yeah. It's just crazy. All right. All right, we're going to stop it now and get back in. Okay, so we've we've seen all these videos of these weird things flying around. But when we're getting into, you know, now we're starting to see these weird, like, sphery things and with cubes in them and... Mm -hmm. And it not it's not a direct link, I don't think, but it is very proby in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, this actually kind of brought to mind the Betts Mystery Sphere. Are you familiar with the Betts Mystery Sphere, Moz? Uh, yes, but do go on, and then I'm going to remember. Well, this is going to be the whole next part, and probably, I think, pretty much the rest of this episode, this part one. We're going to get into the Betts Mystery Sphere. So let's do this. This story may be the first and only recorded incident of humans interacting directly with alien technology. But I digress. Let's start at the beginning. The Betts Mystery Sphere, as it came to be known, was discovered on March 27th, 1974. Is this the ball that rolls around on its own? Yeah, there All you right. go. Okay. There you go. The, the magic bowling ball. Magic thing. ball, yeah. There was a small brush fire that broke out on Fort George Island in Florida. In the Betts family, Antoine, Jerry, and their son Terry went to investigate the fire as it was burning on their land mm -hmm. and discovered a strange metal sphere among the ashes. Believing the sphere to be some kind of artifact from early European explorers, they brought it home. But this sphere was not some sort of relic from colonial days. It turned out to be something totally inexplicable. It's the Kecksburg thing's baby, right? 
oh, maybe that was the another bet sphere falling <laughs> the streak across the sky. That's how the bet sphere got here. It all here. comes back to Pennsylvania. It all comes Pittsburgh back around. And not the dang Nazis. Anywho, when they found the sphere in the remains of the recent fire, as reported to the press by Mr. Betts, it was in no way embedded in the ground. It wasn't noticeably singed, marred, or discolored from the fire, smoke, or ash either. They thought this was rather odd, but not really knowing the origins of the thing, they didn't think much of it in the moment. And although the sphere was only 7.96 inches in diameter, which is basically 20.22 centimeters, it was quite heavy, weighing in at 21.34 pounds, or exactly 9.7 kilograms. See, the video, I remember it was bigger. It just seemed like maybe they zoomed in on it, but it was it Yeah, they were definitely zooming in on it. the video, I remember from back in the day. No, it, it wasn't very big. You could easily hold it in your hands. Gotcha. Outside of a single three-millimeter triangle etched into the side, there were no noticeable markings on the sphere outside of a couple of small scuffs. It was also completely smooth. Okay. And so what was the, again, triangles on the side? There's a little th- a little triangle, mm-hmm. three millimeters per side. Mm-hmm. It's a little. Gotcha. Etched in into the side of the thing. Right. And it's the only markings on it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, completely smooth, except for just a couple little scuffs, which it might have got when it fell to Earth from space. But, you know, conjecture on that point. Let's move on. But after that triangle in Alpha Centauri, yep. it, it could mean Sony. That's my guess. It's probably a, Sony? Trade, probably a trademark <laughs> of some type. I usually just assume it's Disney. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But anywho, after a couple of weeks, the sphere sitting on a shelf, Terry Betts, the son, was playing his guitar when he, he and his friend noticed a weird humming in the room. After some investigation, Terry found the sphere was reacting to the music. The louder and faster he played, the more intense the humming from the sphere. It reached a point that the humming freaked out the family dog. So curious now, Terry did what any boy around his age would do. Try to break it open, see what's inside. He went to get his hammer so he could hit the sphere with it. (laughs) Because that's what what boys do, right? That's what you do. When the sphere was struck with the hammer, it rang not unlike a bell or a tuning fork. It Bung. You know, it actually rang. Not what you would expect if it was solid metal. Right. And from the weight of the thing, they were thinking it was solid metal. After these experiments, Terry placed the sphere on the floor, and it did something even stranger. It began to roll around under its own power. It would roll, stop, change directions all on its own. Isn't it nice when batteries are included? Yeah, right. It's so rare. It's kind of like that movie. Other, other galaxies have this down. Yeah, that that might be the best alien probe movie ever. <laughs> batteries not included. Oh yeah, yeah. See, I didn't even mean to do that. Part. There you go. You're smarter than you think. Yeah, but it, I imagine. it at times this this bet sphere it it would even follow people around, chase the family dog. It freaked out the dog. I feel so bad for the dog. And these bouts of self propulsion would last for what they said was as much as 12 minutes at a time. So it's like it stored up some energy and then 
used it. What if the Betzes have a really techie neighbor who's just a dick? Just freaking them <laughs> out. Just like, let's see what this does. <laughs> My dog hated it, bet theirs will. Right. But anywho, uh, after seeing all this, the whole family was super curious, and they ran some more experiments. They put the sphere on a glass top table and pushed it toward the edge. The sphere would every time stop itself, roll back away from the edge, and spiral into the middle of the table until it was right in the center of the table. Wow. That's a probe. Every time they pushed it, no matter how hard they pushed it, yeah. the sphere would not fall off the table. And yeah. this thing's perfectly round and smooth on yeah. a glass table. Mm-hmm. Amazed now, they took the experiment a step further. And the ball would roll into the Betts' bedroom during the mating ritual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, he, well, they're trying to learn. It was, uh, Lord Dunraven's room. And, uh, what they did was they lifted one end of the table, thinking that this, you know, cr- making an actual slope out of the table would be, you know, enough to send the sphere to the floor. But just as the sphere started rolling down the incline, it stopped reverse direction and went up the table yeah a seemingly conscious move to save itself from a perceived fall a really techie neighbor yeah like not only is this thing techie but it's smart and this is the 70s right or the Um, late sick i had the date here hold on sorry i do remember it was crazy 70 rugs and i do remember the video march 27th 1974 was when it was discovered so it was 74 you can imagine the decor then. Ooh, that, those aliens are like, what is going on and, with this? Well, I would think gr- it wouldn't. whole species. I would think it wouldn't be so scared to fall into the thick shag carpet. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anywho, another thing they discovered was the sphere's magnetic qualities. When the sphere had been at rest, small objects would stick to it but be easily removed. But after a few minutes of activity from the sphere, its magnetic strength would increase and the same metal objects would stick to the sphere so strongly that the Betzes could not remove them mm-hmm. until the sphere ceased its activity. But it was So it's like when it moved, it powered itself up. Right. Like the kinetic energy would, charge. would, would create more right. power than it was using. So it's like a perpetual motion machine in a yeah. way. Yeah. A perpetual power machine in a way. But I don't think it only made its own power because the sphere also seemed to react to the sun. You know, it reacted to the vibrations from the music and whatnot. Uh, but it also reacted just to straight sunlight. After being placed in the sun for a short period of time, the sphere would start to vibrate and hum like what we saw with the music. It would also get warm very quickly in the sun. And when brought back out of the sun, after only an hour sitting in the sun, it would maintain its warmth for days, multiple days. After one hour in the sun, it would still be warm to the top. So it's multiple. Going to another planet has multiple ways of recharging. And it stores energy. It it absorbs and stores energy like in any form that it comes by it, whether it's kinetic or, uh, you know, the sun shining on it or the vibration from the music and I wonder if, you know, people just sang at it, if it would charge up. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So after running all these experiments, the Betzes were just too curious about figuring out what the sphere really was. 
They didn't want to call the government, so they called the press. Okay. It's usually between those two choices when you have something weird going on, right? Who do you call? Do you call the government or do you call the press? <laughs> they called the press. Glenn Greenwald, yeah. The first response they got was from a local Jacksonville newspaper who sent out a photographer to check it out. He arrived a skeptic, thinking he was on some wasted time assignment. But once the Betzes showed him what the sphere could do, he left knowing there was something far out of the ordinary with the sphere. Yeah, this is when like Mulder's really mad at Skinner for being sent there and then finds out that it really is that, an X-File. Right, yeah. right. Once the story broke, the press were all over it. They started hounding the Betts family for interviews. Now, the Betts family was wealthy. They owned a huge piece of land with a huge, like, castle-looking house. Mm-hmm. The parents were both very professionally successful. There was no reason to believe they would fabricate this story for monetary gain or notoriety or anything. They had money. They had reputation. They just really wanted to figure out what this thing was. Right. And wouldn't you know it, there was one organization that was more than happy to help them out with figuring that problem out, the U.S. military. Uh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Shock so when the shock. military showed up, not invited, by the way, they just showed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The Betzes were understandably reluctant to hand over the sphere because the military showed up and was like, we think that should be ours now. Yeah. And they didn't want to give it to them. But the military used the excuse that the, the sphere might not only prove to be military property. See, they used that trick on you. Oh, we probably made that. Yeah. But they also said it could be some kind of unexploded ordinance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, danger to the public. So under pressure, the Betzes had a contract drawn up for the military to sign that said within, that said if within two weeks the sphere did not prove to be military property mm-hmm. it was not a known danger to the public that the sphere would be returned to the Betts family mm-hmm. i think we all know how that contract's going to turn out but let's not get ahead of ourselves the military then ran some experiments of its own it was found that the sphere was super tough being made of stainless steel grade 431 but they did release some more information it didn't just I mean, usually these things disappear, and that's... We do have some more information here, yes. They they weren't completely cover-up about it. Wow. But so it was made of stainless steel grade 431, which is commonly used that's in the... That's Ginsu level. Well, it's commonly used in the aerospace industry as fittings and boltings requiring high-yield strength. This is the stuff that holds together the fastest of jets. Yeah. Things like that, you know, holds together the space shuttle... So it's like the deluxe Gensu. Really strong stuff. And the sphere was found to be able to withstand 120,000 pounds per square inch of pressure. 120. So they tried to crack that baby open, basically. Oh, yeah. They gave it everything they got, I think. To put that in perspective, Mm -hmm. the 120,000 pounds per square inch, the pressure at the bottom of the Mariana Trench the deepest, highest pressure place on the surface of the planet where we can't go because we can't even build something to sustain the pressure mm-hmm. is about 16,000 pounds per square inch. 16,000 compared to 120,000. Did they try like putting it under warm water first? <laughs> <What>? That works. 
when you're trying to get the lid off the jar, you run it under hot water. Let first. the pressure up. No, you. That's how you get the top off. You, you bang. You bang. You've never done this with a jar. They, they're not trying to open it. Well, yes, they were. <laughs> that's where you're wrong. So you're totally wrong. So you Actually, you're right, the Maz. They probably were yeah. trying to open it. Oh, yeah. They were trying to crush it and see yeah. what was inside, oh, weren't yeah. they? God damn these guys. Yeah. How many looks totally does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Bop? Totally thought you were throwing me off the rails, no. but you, you actually just taught me something. Yeah. There you go. Well, what would you think they were doing with 120,000 pounds of yeah. pressure? Yeah, it's, that's some strong shit, man. Yeah. But it was also found that the sphere not only was strongly magnetic, but it had four distinct magnetic poles, two north and two south. It was bipolar. bipolar. Thank you. So Zyprexa would totally take care of that. <laughs> there you go. But this is an anomalous characteristic. The military and independent scientists couldn't figure out the equations to explain the magnetic field of the sphere, and it appeared to go against known laws of physics. You know what else goes against known laws of physics? Traveling faster than light. Two weeks after the contract was signed, a U.S. Navy serviceman showed up at the Betts house. He was carrying the sphere, as well as copies of x-rays taken of the sphere. See, this is the Navy, too. Did you hear that? The Navy, specifically. X-rays that the military had claimed to not have taken, by the way. These X-rays they showed up with? Mm -hmm. Oh, we didn't take any X-rays. Hmm. But here, look at the X-rays. Wow. That's how you know it's true. Plausible deniability. <laughs> right. That's how you know it's true. These X-rays showed three smaller spheres embedded in the core mm -hmm. of the main sphere. Just keeps getting a little weirder every time they learn something about this thing. Upon the sphere's return and learning about its strange core, the Betzes enlisted a scientist by the name of Dr. James Harder to run some tests of his own. He found that the spheres embedded in the core appeared to have an atomic number of 140. The highest natural stable atomic number is uranium at 92. The highest scientists have been able to produce in a lab, even of unstable, is 118. That means that whatever the three mystery spheres in the core of the mystery sphere are, they're not normal or able to be produced on Earth. This is an element that shouldn't exist as far as we know. Not on the shouldn't, table. Shouldn't it's be off the table. <laughs> shouldn't even be potentially stable. Well, it is on the table. It wouldn't roll off the table, so it has to be on yeah, the table. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Periodically falls off. The real thing to understand about such an, an atomic number is that an atomic number of 140 is that much like a nuclear bomb, if presented with the right conditions of pressure and heat, it could it's erupt a bad thing. Yeah. into Very a nuclear-like explosion, set off a chain reaction. Which we know the Gloucester Sea Serpent would then respond to two years later. Correct. <laughs> but this prevented... <laughs> But this prevented anyone in their right mind from trying to drill into the sphere mm -hmm. to find out any more about it. It's a warning. It's basically a warning. Yeah, it'll blow, blow up. Blow yeah. up your whole city and you're sitting on so top of it. So the military was right. It, they, and, uh, when they took the sphere, actually, in, in some ways, they were actually correct that it, it was a da potentially dangerous thing. It actually could, at that point, be considered a danger to the public. That kid with that hammer. 
Couldn't right? hit him. He was big. whacking it. With he the would hammer. be grounded for a long time. But maybe that's why the big sphere around it is so strong. Right. So you can't get to. You the, have to keep those three in the middle safe from right. anything affecting them outside of that. Yep. But anywho, theories about the sphere started taking shape at this point. Some speculated that the sphere was of extraterrestrial origins, of course. But not only that, some believed the sphere could be some sort of alien probe. Mm -hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to part one. Maybe some sort of listening device or data gatherer. And when it was found that the sphere was emanating radio waves, one could even speculate that it was transmitting some sort of bit signal back to the mothership Mm -hmm. lurking behind the moon. I made that last bit up, but you get my point. That's very Pink Floyd of you. Oh, yeah. I saw a, a Facebook meme today that uh, it was Dark Side of the Moon cover, but they replaced the prism with Freud's head and it said, Pink Freud, Dark Side of Your Mom. Wow. It's my yeah. new favorite meme. Yeah. Oh, I have one for you. Can we <laughs> Freud now? My, sure. My joke is you have picture of C-3PO and R2-D2. And and you and then you of course you have our Jedi saying these are not the Freuds you were looking for, but they just look like themselves. I don't. I haven't worked out this meme yet. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put Freud's face on him. That's the whole thing. Oh, Freud's okay. face. Freud's on face on R two D two and C three PO. So these are make not this the Freuds you're looking for. See that works. Then that works. <laughs> and another theory that came up at this point about the Bet Sphere was that it could actually be an ancient or alien weapon of some kind, some kind of ancient or alien nuclear device, basically like that, their version of our nuclear bombs. But another theory I came up with, mm. this could be the origin story of the real-life holy hand grenade, if that ancient uh, theory is correct. What do you think about that, Moss? Sounds like your uh, whole guano theory. Oh, it kind of does, huh? That was kind of Ahu guano but I'm not doing one of those till next. I have my own episode. Ahu Guano, just thinking when you said Ahu Guano. You have an Ahu Guano theory? I, I know it's premature. It's, it's premature batshit. About alien probes? or <laughs> Yeah. What, just what, the Bet Sphere or what? The Bet Sphere. It's, you you want to do a special uh, mid-episode <clears throat> Ahu Guano mid, theory I, about I, the Bet Sphere? I don't believe in... in, in Pigeonholing these segments. Okay, I'm I'm gonna give you a shot here, Maz. Here is Maz's Bet Sphere Alhuguano theory. Oh no, here it comes! Quick to the batshit signal. This sounds like something Tesla would create. I mean, think about it. He created this big transmitter on Long Island, and he has this happy fun ball that he makes because that's what he that's what these guys do. <laughs> do not when taunt Einstein, happy fun ball. Do not taunt happy fun Oh my fun god, ball. it's a happy fun ball. Yeah. So he sends it off on a mission. One day he's playing, playing fetch with it, and never comes back. And it's you know, he it just strikes out in the world to make its fame and fortune or something. And he's really sad. You can see Tesla you know Tesla always seems sad near the end of his life. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this is why. Because he lost his happy fun ball. It went off and the Betzes found it years later when it finally came back off the you know, playing fetch. Because he could play fetch with like Alpha Centauri. He's like, I'm gonna send happy my his dog can just go to Alpha Centauri. It kind of worries me how much sense you make to me so yeah. much of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think we solved this. No, I we didn't 
normally when we say we solve this, I think we did. This is just the this best. is a hypothesis. This isn't a theory yet. <laughs> this is a hypothesis. But that's all I can think of is Tesla would create some. If you're going to talk about Earth, the Tesla created this. The bet sphere is actually Tesla's happy fun ball. Yes. It brings in Saturday Night Live. It brings I in one love of our it. greatest minds of our time. I absolutely love it. I should have waited for Ojo Guano, but that's what it sounds like. It sounds like another t-shirt idea to me is what it sounds like. There you go. Oh, it's like Tesla holding the orb like in the Escher thing. Oh, yeah. Got the little triangle in it. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. Nice. But anyhow, let's get back into it. This is where things really started to get shady. With, the, uh, with everything going on around the Beth Sphere. Now that people have had a chance to look at it and kind of, you know, get the data on it and see what it's really about, things start getting a little weird. A known government scientist, a Dr. J. Allen Hynek, showed up asking to do some further tests on the sphere. Once it was, the, cool, the crazy part is, is the military actually brought it back the first time. Wow. They actually brought it back. Like, that blows my mind in and of itself that they ever even got this thing back. Yeah. But now, a government scientist shows up looking to get his hands back on it. So, Dr. Hynek was known to be involved with such government operations as... The Maneuver. Project Blue Book. The Hynek Maneuver. This Dr. Hynek was known to be involved with such government operations as Project Blue Book and was consultant to the military under three different presidents. And he showed up personally to try to get his hands on the sphere. But no luck, the Betzes weren't having it. And then it just so happens that shortly thereafter, another group of scientists, not claiming to be connected to the military or anything, just, hey, we're scientists, they show up at the Betz house, and they offer the Betzes $750,000 for the sphere. Now, mind you, this is in 1974. This is a lot of money. In 2023 money, that is the equivalent to just over $4.6 million. Or seven loaves of bread. Yeah. In 2024, it'll be seven <laughs> loaves of bread. <laughs> the way we're going. But as we said, the Betzes had money. They weren't worried about money. And all this really did was make them very nervous these guys just showing up being like, we're going to give you a fortune for the thing. But they sent the men away telling them the sphere wasn't there and they couldn't give it to them if they wanted to say so that I don't know where the sphere actually is, but the Betzes are now telling them we don't have it. Mm -hmm. It's not here. We don't have it doing a CYA with these scary scientists, dude, which was a good thing because afterward they checked on these men's backstories and discovered they were not who they claimed to be. They were totally, you know, falsifying Anyone. their own identities. And, and that's when things really got serious for the Betzes because they were now fearing for their lives. They were fearing for their own safety at this point. Yeah, because someone will break in there and try to find that thing. Right, yeah. And, like, if you don't sell it to them, we'll just come steal it. Yep. And, you know, if you get in our way, we'll probably just kill you. Yep. It's, it's that kind of number of money they were putting out there. Good for them sticking to their guns. Yeah. So the next organization to approach the Betzes about inspecting the sphere was none other than the National Enquirer. Mm -hmm. They're getting the tabloids now. They were interested in reporting on the sphere and were hoping to be able to conduct their own examinations. They agreed, and Terry took the sphere to the National Enquirer headquarters 
where he gave them the sphere for testing. Wait, what? The National Enquirer headquarters. I mean, that's the gotta National be like powered by staples. Like, what are we? <laughs> well, this we talk? This is the seventies. They don't. Even, do they have Xerox yet? They they have like a. What do you mean? I'm just saying. What do they have at the National Enquirer headquarters besides you know paper clips? Well, no, which they, they could stick to the that sphere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they would bring people in. They just wanted to be the oh, ones who got the okay. store. Yeah, yeah. They don't. Okay. Ha- they don't have. You some... make it sound like well, deep in the secret labs underneath, seventeen stories below the Earth's crust, the National Enquirer headquarters. <laughs> they are obviously going to bring in scientists okay. and right. stuff okay. to look at it. Okay, it's just the you fact. Explain that. I get it now. To me, this is, you know, the military's big and scary. The guys coming in lying about being scientists is scary. Then the National Enquirer shows yeah. up. Hey, we just want to, you bring it in. We just want to write the story and get make sure we get all our facts straight. See, they enticed them in in order to show up somewhere with the sphere. Anywho, so Terry's at the National Enquirer with the sphere. While he's waiting for them to finish their inspections... He receives a phone call telling him that his mother has been in a horrible accident... And he needs to return home at once. Post haste. Go now. Do not hesitate. The situation is most dire. Go, go, go. So he bolts, leaving the sphere behind, gets on a plane. And when he gets home, he finds no accident. Mm -hmm. Everyone's fine. They have no idea what the hell he's even talking about. See, they just lured him out. Yep. He immediately heads back to the inquirer offices, returns the and demands they return the sphere. After much hemming and hawing, they tell him, oh, the sphere cannot be returned at the moment as it is no longer on the premises. Mm -hmm. They say they gave the sphere to their expert UFO panel, actually made up of some rather reputable scientists and public figures who brought it to New Orleans, of all places, for further testing. Note that there had been no discussion about the sphere moving locations, and Terry had always presumed to be getting the sphere back that day. So this ties into my happy fun ball thing. It's so they total... take it to New Orleans, that party, listen to some light jazz. <laughs> Tesla's like rolling over in his grave right now. What better place for a happy fun ball than New Orleans? Because <laughs> they're beat. It's a big beat. It's Somebody... a big it's a big Mardi Gras bead. Dude, somebody needs to we start. solve this. Somebody needs to start a music festival in New Orleans <laughs> called the Happy Fun Ball. Like the ball, you yeah. know, like the ball. Yeah. Everybody dresses up fancy, but it's like a yeah, big the, concert. I like it. That's brilliant. Anywho, Terry drives down to New Orleans to get the sphere back, you know, get what's his. But upon arriving, he finds that the U.S. Navy... Mm-hmm. is now in possession of the sphere and it is being very well guarded. Mm. This is the part is it, it's really maybe the most impressive thing in this whole story, which earns Terry Betts this week's mad Cujo's award. Ah, boy. So Terry argued with the U S Navy and actually got the sphere back. He got it back, that dude. That is impressive. That's some serious tenacity right there. Well done, Mr. Betts. Anywho, yep. he gets the sphere back. He heads home. 
Yeah, that doesn't happen because usually they wheel it into like the smoky man is like wheeling it down into that big Home Depot place. And then yeah. it's like the basement of the Vatican and it's that Tom Robbins where, book. Where it's they just, put the Ark and Raiders, yeah. you're talking. Or, or Warehouse 13. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. So how did he get it back from Warehouse 13? Well, he goes home and they bring out the sphere. And the sphere is not doing any of its old tricks. No humming. No vibrating, no rolling around. So they're no, up to their old tricks. No chasing the dog. <laughs> it's just a ball. It is no longer happy fun. Not so happy fun ball. It is not happy and fun anymore. It is now just a ball. It's a not ball. So, of course, it's a not ball. Oh, my God. It's a not sphere. Not sphere. That's better. <laughs> it is better. It's a not sphere. So, of course, at this point, they have it reinspected, right? Yes. Now there is an obvious seam in the sphere that shows up in the x rays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are no super dense spheres embedded in the core. Mm-hmm. This is not the same sphere. Right. That's how we got it back. Yeah. Good for him for arguing and mm-hmm. making him go through the motions, at least, because yeah. a lot of people would have just backed down. He still deserves that mad kudos. Mm-hmm. And that, unfortunately, like most stories in this genre is pretty much that with the bet sphere, the sphere going public pretty much ruins the bets family's collective life. They were hounded by the press pressured by the military and government betrayed by renowned scientists and journalists. And they were stalked by unknown figures who could have been foreign agents. They could have been men in black, could have been men in black, could have been major league baseball. Who knows? Yeah. They tried a bit to get the sphere back but after all this, it seems they didn't really want it back. I don't think even. And the legend of the Bet Sphere faded into history along with all the other stuff the U.S. Navy is keeping in that warehouse you were talking about there, Moz. Yep. But anyway, what do you think about the Bet Sphere, Moz? Do you, do you think it could be an alien probe of some kind? Two comments. One is, and having looked into this a little bit back in the day, it was one of the things that really impressed me as being something incredibly strange and there was a lot of hoopla about this and a lot of people went through great length to take this from them yeah and it seemed to have proved itself maybe video trick trickery but then why would they have if it's been tested and then it's still of interest it's kind of a done deal that there was something to this and you know the way they found it the way they didn't benefit from it the way they didn't need the money the way it still wrecked their lives all those things kind of lead to also kind of corroborating uh this very strange uh uh, thing that yes does doesn't act with with anything close to what 74 technology could have mustered today may or may not be able to muster right but the second point is I do want to argue the Mad Cujo's just a little bit. <laughs> Why? Because it wasn't the real sphere. Well, they didn't get the real sphere back, and they went to the National Enquirer instead of, you know, Snowden went to Glenn Greenwald. You know, what it feels like to me in that is they were all kind of in it together, and they were yeah. just like, how do we get this sphere from them? Yeah. And they're like, oh, maybe, you know, if we send the military and tell them it's dangerous, they'll just let us take it. But that didn't really work. So then they were like, let's offer him money, and the money didn't work. It's like, all right, let's send the the fake scientists who are maybe men in black or whatever and see if they can get it, and they couldn't get it. 
and I think the National Enquirer was the next step. They were like, okay, who might they actually like trust enough to bring this thing out in public for us? This is why I would argue the Mad Cujos. 1974, 1974 National Enquirer or Carl Sagan. I'm, I'm giving it to Carl Sagan. That's a, it, it's a great point. But Carl, Carl Sagan wasn't asking for it. That's the thing. Right, but th- there's been enough of it. Like Carl, we're gonna send this. To, you, you, you know, we're gonna put this into your hands, that, and that, I would trust you more than absolutely. And that that could have been the extraordinary evidence he had been looking for. That could have changed the whole scheme of things, Moz. Yeah, where were you? I don't know. You right. should have been there, Moz. We need to build a time machine. Okay. Yeah. Send you back to 1974. Yeah. And call Carl Sagan. Talk to him directly. Like, you have to go talk to the Betts family about this sphere before anyone else gets to it. I don't think at any time in any parallel world that Michio Kaku was talking about, Carl Sagan would answer any of my <laughs> emails or texts or smoke signals. He just was I am the man from the you future. Know. You must talk to me, Carl. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, boy. Get one of these every day. Yep. Yep, I gotta say, I could do a great Carl Sagan impersonation. <laughs> the shores of the cosmic ocean. Oh man! It, yeah, but even see, I even got Maz talking about how obviously there's something about this bet sphere. Right? I I was but really impressed think? with the video back in the day, and mm-hmm. I didn't understand what was going on, and it was impressive. And it's again one of those things that I think we need to tell everyone: if something really strange happens, you need to hand it over. Like you can't trust the government. Yeah, you, you really can't, can't. You have to actually figure out what am I going to do with this so that actually the public gets some information and that people who are in the know, who are the researchers that can actually figure this out, get it into their hands. And so many people make mistakes. Right. Uh, we, we read about it all the time, which is why this is a tough field. Like you, you, you buried the Thunderbird instead of bringing it to the museum yep. or you brought it to the museum and it disappeared. All the giant skeletons that the Smithsonian picks up and nobody ever sees them again. Yeah. Exactly. The Smithsonian, which we used to think would be the place to take it. It's is not, not the place not. to take it. And I think the Smithsonian odd. owns Warehouse 13. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the giant Home Depot. I think the they're the curator of that as well as all those museums. Yeah. No, is, I agree. Is the sort of feeling I get. I'm with you. And, you know, so, and people kind of figured out that the government is not their friend in these things a long time ago. And it mm-hmm. turned into the press, calling the press. But you see what calling the press gets you now. Well, and if you handing it over it to turns a, into a madhouse, a valued a mob journalist or a valued researcher that you have vetted and you trust, right? You need that one person, like the the one right scientist or the one right journalist, that will know how to handle that, or the scientific thing. journalist working at the National Enquirer. There you go. <laughs> or National Geographic would have been better than National Enquirer. You well, know you I mean? that you gave Mad Cujo's. I just we're allowed to discuss this, but go oh, ahead. Oh, totally. totally. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm just saying, yeah. Not, I mean, in, it was the '70s. The tabloids were a big thing then. Yeah, uh, it was kind of like the YouTube of the day. You know what I mean? Bef- right. Pre pre internet, that was a big source of yeah. kind of half news, half entertainment. A lot of it's kind of bunk, but you still just liked reading about it. That's kinda, how kinda. I learned about the Loch Ness Bigfoot. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but uh, like, I kind of see how they would find that organization more trustworthy mm-hmm. i don't but come on man you know you don't bring it back out in public when you know people want it so bad yeah because you know who what they they could have just offered that five million dollars four and a half million dollars to the inquirer been like just get them to bring it here and we'll give you four and a half million dollars and the inquirer went okay yeah 
And then they just, because you, know, you know, that's how people work way too much of the time. Yeah. Maybe I'm just too cynical. Well, if they had been a poor family, this would have ended differently. They would have taken the money and whatever government had sent them. Right. Right. Would have taken that sphere. Yeah, I I, I I would totally sell it for $4.5 million right now. Like, right, but the, the thing is, is it gets in the wrong hands, the wrong government, you know. Yeah, and then it just disappears, man. I mean, this this might be part of the whole reverse engineering process that the Navy's yeah, using. You know, exactly. The, Na- the Navy obviously has it. Yeah. But anywho, there is our first batch of potential alien probes. All these crazy flying craft being caught for years on military radar all around the globe now being caught more and more by civilian cameras commercial pilots and all that like door we saw cams. automated doorbells even it seems they are among us Moz. you think it's time to panic yet well i mean it's an old theory it's you know i was reading yeah. von daniken before Giorgio sukulos was you know in grade no. school so but okay. you know might be time i mean this is 2023's the most time to panic if you're going to panic. There's so much to panic about. It's starting. <laughs> but this but, is actually the least of our problems at right, this point. But I, think. I, I think the timing is like, hey, cool. Something at least interesting is going to finish this off instead of the 17 yeah. other, you know, like if, you, if you're playing Russian roulette with the human species, this is the one that's like, ah, pull that knob. Yeah. I would much rather alien invasion than nuclear war. At least it's more romantic. Give them door number 51. all right so up next in our probing saga i want to get into another batch or excuse me i want to get into another branch of the proverbial tree we're going to talk about interstellar interlopers in the next one are you familiar with that term moz yes very avi lobe but uh it basically means a celestial body that enters our solar system from interstellar space something from outside our star system coming into our star system things from long long ago galaxies far far away but uh that will be our topic in the next couple parts of this uh we're going to do one more of these and then you know moz gets his turns and then i'm going to throw in a couple other things so as not to just hammer you with probes for too long in a row Colagard, uh, Colagard people this will be kind of working in and out for a while that's what it does but, uh, do you want to add anything here moz before i finish wrapping up part one of the probes here well, I think if you messed up the Mad Cujos, you got to give me the Nobel Pizza Prize, which <laughs> we should throw in the oven. <laughs> the Nobel Pizza Pie. The Nobel Pizza Pie. We actually yeah, got one of those. Go. And it's the first time I think we're ever like, coordinating on a frozen pizza together. So we'll see how that oh, turns that's out. true, huh? Usually we just order. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, we try to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. Then thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on so you can keep track of the Monster Lore Tour as we roll along. We're going to record the follow-up for this episode now, which will be available in our members area at patreon.com slash Tour. You can also get early access to the future episodes, as we said before, up in the members area. So if you're interested, please check it out. In the meantime, we'll see you back here next week at the Edge of Nowhere for the Monster Lore Tour. Thanks again for listening. Have a good one, listener. Monsters.
Monster Lore Tour Podcast. Are you in a band? No, I'm in a not band. <laughs> There's something off about us. There's something very dysmorphic about our sound. <laughs> yeah.